you know, we have to say like, we know systems cause most of the problems, but systems are created and run and perpetrated by people, <laughs> right? There's somebody who has their finger on the button and is pulling the levers. And so I do, you have to start somewhere in a system. There's no start or end. So you chicken egg. So I start with people. And if you can grow people's awareness and grow their capacities for more re relational, healthy, like health within themselves, relating to themselves and healthy relationships with others and some core skills like communication skills and stress management skills. Think when you're like on a deadline, are you kind to your, you know, are you, are you, what are you perpetuating in your workplace? And so when people start to settle within themselves, they write different policy. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. My name is David Gaines, and I am one of your hosts. And today we welcome in Kim Ndefo, who is the founder and president of Lumos Transforms and the creator of the Resilience Toolkit, a model that promotes embodied self-awareness and self-regulation in an ecological sensitive framework and social justice context. But before we dive in, I just wanted to give you a quick update about Summit. We are now three months away from the Social Enterprise Alliance Summit, and we are excited to share about our two keynote speakers. First, Rodney Foxworth, CEO of Common Future, which is a network of leaders rebuilding an economy that includes everyone. And Wendy Gonzalez, CEO at Sama, who for over a decade has been committed to making an impact on AI development and the world at large. This year's Summit of Summits is business as unusual and will be held September 7th through 9th in a virtual platform. General admission is $300, but right now, early bird admission is $100 off, and SEA members receive an additional $50 off the individual early bird ticket pricing. To learn more, go to socialenterprise.us and click on the tab Summit 2022. Look forward to seeing you soon in September. Now, welcome NCAM to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. We have NCAM on the podcast today. Uh, welcome, NCAM. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a little combo. Absolutely. So let's just dive right in. Um, so you're the creator of the Resilience Toolkit and the president of Lumos Transforms the organization. So would you share a little more with us about what those uh, two things are and the work that you're currently doing? So Lumos Transforms is a little bit unique as a social enterprise in that we are service providers as opposed to creating products. Um, and the work that we do is what I call change work. Uh, and we work at the intersection of trauma and stress and resilience to generally help. Um, in this case, I would, we do a lot of work, but in the specific, uh, I think here is more talking about with organizations and helping organizations build capacity for organizational development, healing, because there's a lot of organizational trauma and, um, you know, often helping them sort of live their mission because a lot of times, organizations, I think in the social impact world, it's about 
what's happening with the end user or what's happening at the end product, but you often forget the culture of the organization itself. Wow. Yeah. And so we do a lot of work, healthcare, social service, education. We're on a very large project in healthcare right now. Um, and part of our approach is uh, uh, an approach I developed called the Resilience Toolkit, which helps people develop their self-awareness as individuals of their own stress and trauma and relaxation cycles. And with that awareness to be able to appraise, is that a useful response? So if you're a, like, let's say in a social enterprise space, the kind of energy that you need for visioning and strategizing and dreaming is very different than executing. Mm. Um, and, uh, Team building is like a warm and connected space while when you're evaluating, it's more, it's sharper. It's, um, it's a different kind of, of space. And if you don't know the difference between the two, it can be really detrimental. So we help people develop that awareness. And then if they realize that their response is not adaptive to the current moment, how to choose from a menu of very quick real-time practices to settle their responses and the goal is to grow a level of resilience that um, not only are, is it a more enjoyable life, but that it is, um, again, your capacity to do transformative work. Wow, that's amazing. And I imagine that just addressing and healing trauma, you know, yeah, well, like you said, it is hard work, but so necessary. I think one challenge is wellness and self-care have kind of become these buzzwords where I think that there can be a dismissive attitude towards them. Like there's this misconception that self-care is like bubble baths versus like the hard and transforming work that you're kind of describing. You know, how, how do you see this playing out in the workplace? Because clearly there's a huge segment of the population that have traumas that exist in their lives and small traumas as well that kind of trickle over into their workspace. I actually don't use trauma in workspaces that often. Um, because, um, I don't know if workplace is the place that you heal trauma, like actually, especially individual trauma, but we can hope that work doesn't further traumatize people. And if you don't know how trauma shows up, then you can absolutely be traumatizing people in the way that you're practicing your, you know, your policies and your procedures. So at first it's do no harm. I think most people can relate to the idea of stress or toxic stress, um, and that being very prevalent. And, you know, the line when stress becomes so toxic becomes trauma. I don't know. That's kind of subjective. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at the COVID, the pandemic reality that, you know, having to um, navigate so much uncertainty, so much loss, so much change in the midst of an already pretty fractured culture uh, of organizational culture of lack of care. And so I'm not a big fan of self-care in that sense. I'm more of a fan of collective care. Like how does an organization set the conditions that allows people to thrive that they don't need to escape from? How, you know, how is that happening? Um, and I think that wellness has gotten, I mean, like if you just take the word wellness, like who would want to kick that one to the curb? Like, wouldn't you want to be well? And there's something I say about our organization. I mean, we do service in the world and it's very important. However, if it's not also about our staff and our team becoming better people and more fulfilled 
and happier, what are we doing? So it's also about our, how our own well-being is tied with the well-being of the people we serve. They're not separate. And if you treat them as separate, mm. you're going to be set up with problems. You're going to set up with burnout, with people like a martyr syndrome. Um, it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Wow. Right. And I like how you brought up the two different areas, like especially with social enterprises, they're usually serving in some capacity through product or service, a marginalized group. Right. So they're probably experiencing, I would imagine, um, you know, secondhand trauma from people they're working with. And but if you're not healthy in the organization, there's the toxicity that come come from that. But there's kind of a weight, I would imagine, of you know, just working with people who have uh, everyday traumas as well uh, in whatever version of marginalization they're experiencing. It is true. And I think people, I mean, I would ask social entrepreneurs to take a hard look at their motivations, like a really hard look at your motivations. Often the motivation is to relieve suffering. I mean, they're great. They're noble, noble. Um, and they're also because sometimes we can't stand the suffering. So it's not just to relieve the suffering. It's also for our own, like, to get relief. Um, there may be places in our life where we've felt powerless in the face of suffering or inequity. And so it's important for us to feel effective and powerful, not in an abusive or controlling way, but in a way of, you know, helping people. And so if we're not clear that those are our motivations... Often what happens is we will try to outrun the feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of powerlessness, the feeling of suffering by working harder. And we burn out, right? And so when we actually see and working with people, as you said, who are marginalized, who are dealing with powerlessness, hopelessness, with, um, you know, with suffering, it can trigger in us like, oh, that's our kind of core wounding. And we think our work is our medicine. But the truth is, you can only run so fast. Like there's a point yeah. where your ability to sit with suffering and know, like, yes, there's suffering in me and others. Yes, there's powerlessness in me and others. And yes, I am doing enough, but it's not in a way to outrun my own core wounding. And that's something that we all have to come to. Or, I mean, I think you can do good work out of, you know, Again, trying to outrun your own traumas. And it's not like you have to put it in someone's face. You have to face it now. It's just like recognizing right. like, hmm, am I overworking? What am I running from? Right? Like what's what's the driver here? Wow. So I guess my question too is like talking about like the individual versus the collective. How do you kind of solve for those kinds of issues, you know, on a collective level? through the programming and the, and the training that y'all do? What does that look like? So, um, you know, we have to say, like, we know systems cause most of the problems, but systems are created and run mm -hmm. and perpetrated by people, <laughs> right? So there's somebody who has their finger on the button and is pulling the levers. Mm -hmm. And so I do, you have to start somewhere in a system. There's no start or end. So you chicken egg. So I start with people. And if you can grow people's awareness and grow their capacities for more re relational, healthy, like health within themselves, relating to themselves and healthy relationships with others. And some core skills like communication skills and stress management skills. Think when you're like on a deadline, are you kind to your, you know, are you, are you, what are you perpetuating in your workplace? Yeah. And so 
when people start to settle within themselves, they write different policy. Mm, they enact wow. different procedures and practices. And so the system starts to shift along with. So a project we're on right now is an embodied anti-racism project for a very large health system. It's the second largest safety net health system in the United States. And so we're looking at a workforce of over 30,000 that treats over a wow. million, you know, close to a million patients a year. And so how are we doing this is bringing this approach. I mean, these, and they're working safety net. These are marginalized folks. So it's government. It's not social enterprise, but they reached out not to a nonprofit, not to a typical consulting firm, but to a social enterprise to do this work and how we work and partner in with patients, with community, with workforce and leadership. And we did, you know, usually it's like quick, we've got to move, especially in healthcare. Quick, it's very crisis oriented. How do we slow down and um, really do some capacity building for people to start connecting to themselves again and connecting to one another and listening to one another? And and I often say we rec- we have the uh, the ability to recreate culture in every interaction, every conversation, every email, every interaction is an opportunity to remake culture. And so as people start to settle into their human, like I think it's almost like a return to your humanity, right? The numbness Mm -hmm. wears off and you're more human. You make space for other people's humanity in all those little micro interactions. And we get an emergent culture change as well as formal, you know, help and technical assistance on writing better policy and, you know, analyzing your data and, you know, being more transparent. You know, there's a lot of like, you know, I think technical aspects um, that support this, but the technical aspects, we see them being done all over, all over the place and they don't lead to the kind of change we want to see, right? It's, you've got to embody it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful. Yeah. I mean, several things really stick out to me with that. I, I love what you said about the ability to recreate culture with every interaction. I mean, kind of a mantra that I use in my head is I know one seven billionth perspective of humanity. And every time we get to meet somebody else, you know, why wouldn't you come in with curiosity and humility? Because it's a chance to learn another one seven billionth of what it's like to be human and to understand a new perspective. So um, I just love that. One thing that really struck out to me, too, is something you said about, you know, how do we slow down, right? There was like this ripple effect to to empower 30,000 people, which then touches millions of uh, people in the system. There's this beautiful ripple effect. And, and when you have something so large, so much work to do, you know, there's kind of this burden of um, – almost an anxiety of like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going because there's all these people that need help. But it sounds like foundationally a key component is to slow down, to, to really stop and, and do some inner work so that you can be that much more effective with the people that you're trying to serve. Like just very practically speaking, what does that look like? I mean, if you notice like what's happening with our pace of conversation, right? Did you notice that it started quick and it slowed down a little bit? So I have developed skills to regulate my nervous system. So I recognize when I'm upregulated and I know 
is it useful? Like, am I running a race? Is someone attacking me? Do I have a deadline or presentation? If no, how do I settle my system? My cadence of my voice changes and that ripples. So we are in resonance with each other. So the one of your most powerful tools is your own nervous system. And so that knowledge base, so that's why I love the Resilience Toolkit in that growing that knowledge base allows people to... So, you know, we did a facilitators training and we started our facilitators training in this, in this project with this embodiment and how they notice for themselves what's going on, which also allows them to slow down in meetings, which allows them to notice the tone. Oh, wait a second. What has happened here? Is everyone holding their breath? Can we take a moment? Right. And when the breath happens, the the creativity comes back. The animosity goes down, the defensiveness goes, the hearing, like literally when we're stressed, our hearing biologically changes and we tune away from the range of the human voice to low danger sounds in the environment. So we, we don't even listen to each other well. So just by downregulating a stress response, we're able to listen to one another, which changes the, like the need to like shout over one another to be heard, be heard because no one's listening. Like that starts to go away, which again, takes some of the, the, there's plenty of things that have urgency. There's no need for false urgencies. Wow. Let the urgent things be urgent. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. And that's so helpful because I think, you know, our culture, our society is so fast paced. And so, um, you know, the tyranny of the urgent and uh, just having the ability to, regulate that within yourself. I'm, I'm amazed. That's like something I would have, have even necessarily thought of like, Oh, this is something that's lacking, you know, like this is, so the ability to identify that and then now you're addressing it in a, you know, very substantial way. That's really exciting and incredible. When you need to move quick, you can move quick, right? Like, and that's not, it's not a problem. It's just having an awareness of what's useful when, and being able to have that regulatory flexibility within yourself. And that um, is super useful, especially for leadership, because leadership will set the tone for, for a group, formal and informal leadership. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So for our listeners that are interested in going, you know, even deeper and, and learning more about your work in the Resilience Toolkit, um, where can they go? How can they access this? So um, on our website, Lumos Transforms, we have been offering since the pandemic uh, regular free classes, just like little intros mm-hmm. or 45 minutes, just to get a little nugget that you can walk away with that's in terms of it's like super practical. Um, and so we're still doing them three times a week, totally free. And so we've had wow. people attend from Burkina Faso to India to Colombia, like really like all over. It's been very fun. Um, so uh, you'll see they're called Anchoring Resilience. And then we have a three-part intro series for people that want to go deeper and want to have that skill set a little bit more for personal use. And then uh, many organizations will send... Um, staff to get certified. Like I think that's probably one of the best things you can have is having someone on staff certified with this skill set to run regular programming for your staff. And if you have, especially if you have a um, workforce that is um, with lived experience of, you know, extra marginalization, like if you are a reentry organization that does reentry work and you hire people, I think it's extra important to have on staff, but we all need it. 
And I, I'm, I originally um, trained as a nurse midwife. And there's a funny thing about being a nurse midwife. People say, well, how many babies have you delivered? And I'm like, two. I have two boys. But I've attended hundreds and hundreds of births <laughs> because I didn't deliver. The person birthing delivered, right? I caught, I attended, uh-huh. I guided, I, w- I did whatever, right? Maybe there were a few complicated ones and I did a little more. But so in the same way, I'm very interested in organizations developing capacities within them that are enduring and sustainable and renewable um, and in your people, right? And I'm interested in things that are real time. So if people can develop this, these practices are real time. It's not something you, everyone can needs a break. It's nice to have a retreat, but we all don't have that luxury. And so being able to use this in real time, so you can use it in meetings, you can use it in strategy sessions, you can use this very practically. So, and we do consulting. We're pretty full in that docket right now, I will say. Um, cause we often combine it with like anti-racism work, DEI work, this type of thing for organizations, organizational development, trauma informed, uh, if they're service delivery organizations. So we do all of that. Wow. Yeah. What a beautiful way to bring in to your, your previous work experiences into, you know, the spirit of it into this, this new work. I love that picture that you painted. I love to see, you know, I hope to put myself out of work because that these skills <laughs> yeah, right. become right. ubiquitous, yeah. that people know how to right. sit with hard things, right? Yeah. And that we can work to make the world less hard. Both. Yeah. Both. It's beautiful. I think that that's the dream of every social entrepreneur. <laughs> Let's get ourselves out of work. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for the work that you you do, for joining us and sharing your brilliance with our audience today. Yeah, this has been amazing and fascinating and just really powerful. Thank you so much. It's really, it is my pleasure. And I wish all of us health and well-being and ease and and really liberation. I mean, that's what this is about. So Mm. thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful.